Now today, I have the great privilege of concluding a series that we began recently entitled Authentic. And as I've said throughout this entire series, I think there's a yearning in our heart for what is real, for what is dependable, for what is true. And, and I think that part of the reason why we have that yearning is because we need to know that the things that we have are real and true. In fact, I think that this dichotomy between what is real and what is fake is part of the reason why some of us, we really struggle with reality TV shows, right? Reality TV shows, on one hand, they are real, but if you look really, really closely, they're also very scripted. How is it possible that the camera is right in the right place to catch the fight? How is it possible that the camera is right in the right place to watch people walk in the door? I think that's part of the reason why we have this love-hate relationship. And I just want to say, I, I sometimes wish that we could go back to a, a more simpler time when there were sitcoms where we knew that it was just a story. And I'm going to date here, I'm going to date myself here a little bit, but some of the shows that I grew up with watching was Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Family Matters, uh, and even The Cosby Show. These were shows that were fake, but you know that their intention was to show you about real life. As I was preparing for this message, I decided to look into the Cosby show, and what I discovered is that when it was introduced back in 1984, it came out to critical acclaim. Very few weeks into the show, it was one of the top 20 shows of the entire year. And in fact, during a stretch of time, it was the number one TV show in America five years straight. I think part of the appeal is that it showed a family working through challenges and difficulties. They laughed together and they cried together and they discussed real issues and there were parents with boundaries and we were captivated by the Cosby show. In fact, the show had so much clout that even Cliff Huxtable was considered the world's greatest dad at one point. And then the show, after it ended, went into syndication, and it made a whole lot of money, and it was in syndication for 12 years until 2014, when suddenly there was a flood of women coming forward to allege some very serious things about Bill Cosby that he had assaulted them, that he had drugged some women just to sexually assault them, and that he had then paid out money to keep them quiet. Very quickly, network sponsors pulled the plug on the program. Colleges revoked the honorary degrees that they had conferred on Bill Cosby. And then everything fully crumbled in 2017 when he was finally convicted of three counts of assault and sent to prison for three to ten years. What was the problem? The problem was is that his public persona didn't line up with his private life. He wasn't authentic. I will tell you this, and this is not a quote I can attribute to myself. I'll attribute it to Christine Kane. She says this, If the light within you isn't brighter than the light that shines on you, the spotlight will destroy you. Eventually, what is hidden in our life will become revealed. Let me put it to you another way. Charisma may get you in the room, but character will keep you in the room. With that in mind, I want to speak on the topic, 
watch your woes. Not watch your toes, but watch your woes. And woes, there are actually two meanings for the word woe. Woe can be used to tell somebody to slow down, woe, woe, woe. But also, woe can be a word of warning where you say to somebody, woe to you. In fact, this is exactly what we find in Matthew chapter 23. I want to invite you to open up your Bible. Open up your Bible app. Open up your Westover app. We're going to look at Jesus giving words of woe to Pharisees. Matthew chapter 23, verse 23 and following. Let's look together. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Jesus, in this passage, uses the word hypocrite. And the people of the time knew what the word hypocrite means. The word hypocrite in the Greek actually meant an actor. It was somebody who portrayed one thing in public, but lived something completely, in, completely different in private. And what he's saying is that you are religious people, and you live a religious life in front of people, but behind closed doors, you're somebody completely different. You're fake. You're not authentic. We as believers in today's time have, the choice, have a choice to make. Are we going to be like the Pharisees and be hypocritical? Or are we going to be like the disciples who were fully integrated in their public life and in their private life? This is the crossroads that we as a church are at. Now, I'll just tell you up front, I didn't want to preach this message because it's a hard truth. But the Lord said, I need my people to hear it. So I'm being obedient. I'm choosing to be authentic to what God has entrusted to me. So I want to invite you and say, I'm not calling any of you Pharisees or hypocrites, but I'm inviting you to check yourself. Are you being hypocritical or are you being a disciple of Jesus? In fact, I looked at the word Pharisee in the Oxford Dictionary, and the first dictionary entry says this, that a Pharisee is a religious man in the Jewish faith. But what it goes on to in the second entry, it says this, that a Pharisee is a self-righteous person, and it ends with the word a hypocrite. My desire and my prayer for you today is that you would be more like the disciples of Jesus and less like the teachers of the law and Pharisees. We must do the internal heart work to check ourselves to make sure that we are on the right path and that our faith and our life is integrated, that who we portray ourselves to be in public is consistent with who we are in private. So today I want to share with you a couple of ways to watch your woes. I've added more notes than I can go through today, so I'm going to start with this point by saying the first way to watch your woes is to keep your heart clean. 
Verse 25 says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. He says that they are blind Pharisees. He says, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. We live in a culture that celebrates the outside, the external. We live in an Instagram culture where everything's copped, everything is cropped and curated and just perfect. We have apps to Photoshop every blemish, to make ourselves look skinny, to, to make ourselves look better. We have filters. And some of us, we even take 35 selfies to get the selfie that we sort of kind of like, just to post it. We put a lot of work in to look right. But looking good on the outside is no substitute for living good on the inside. We must choose to change our heart. There's no app to cure a crooked heart. The only app is the Bible, the Word of God. We need to allow the Word of God to check our heart and to help us keep our heart clean. Now, I want to speak briefly to the young adults because we live in a culture that's saturated with beauty and attractiveness. Listen carefully. Ladies, just because he's cute doesn't mean he's your knight in shining armor. He could just be Oscar the Grouch in a trash can. <laughs> now, guys, listen to me. Just because she's cute doesn't mean she's righteous. She may look righteous on the outside, but she may be ratchet on the inside. What's on the external does not predict what's on the internal. But I will tell you that when we focus what's on the internal, what's happening on the internal will emerge. You can have a look that's on fleek and your life still be fake. Proverbs 31 and 30 says this, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I'd also say this for the men. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a man who fears the Lord is to be praised. I'm not saying that looks don't matter. Looks do matter. We need to take care of the body that God has given us. He's only given us one vessel for us to navigate this life, but it requires us to take care of our body. It requires us to realize that although outside beauty is important, inside beauty and holiness is the most important. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. God bought you at a very high price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. We must live a life where we not only honor the body that God gave us, but realize that the reason we take care of our body is because that's where the presence of God resides. We must not only keep the outside, we must take care of the outside, we must also keep the inside of our heart clean. Recently, I was working on a sermon, and one of the things that I really like to do when I sermon prep is I love a cup of coffee. I've mentioned this again, and I, frankly, I love a cup of coffee 
I love to make a dark roast coffee, add a little bit of creamer, and just enjoy it. And so recently I was preparing a sermon, and I was enjoying my cup of coffee, and all of a sudden the serenity of my sermon prep evaporated. There was an unwelcome guest in my house. My kids have a bad habit of welcoming unwelcome guests into my house. They invite flies in the house. I'm constantly yelling at my kids. Yes, I'm not proud of it, but I yell at my kids and tell them to close the door, close the door, close the door. Well, what flies don't realize is that when they fly into my house, I'm their worst nightmare. (laughs) They don't realize that when they come into my house that I'm going to take them out. Now, I don't have karate kid skills to be able to catch a fly out of midair, but I'm pretty deadly. So I tried a couple times to kill this fly. I just couldn't seem to get it. And all of a sudden, I clapped, and I saw it fall. And I said, yes, I got the fly. The fly is dead. Praise the Lord. So then I kept working. The serenity of my sermon prep kept going. And then I began to look for the fly. I said, I can't seem to find the fly. So I said, well, it must have fell on the floor. And then I went to drink a cup of my coffee, drink out of my cup of coffee, and there... In the cup of coffee was the fly. The fly got the last laugh. He ruined my cup of coffee. He fell in it and he ruined it. So I did what every coffee connoisseur would do. I went, I took it to the sink, I dumped it out, I put the cup in the sink, and I made myself another cup of coffee. Then I, my wife happened to be in the house at that time. I went and I talked to her. I said, Hey, babe, this is what happened. I was preparing my sermon. I killed the fly, it fell in my coffee. And then I had to dump it out and make another one. She said, you should have just scooped it out and drank the coffee. I said, why would I do that? She said, well, a fly in the coffee doesn't make coffee any worse. Now, I know she's not here, but she needs help. Pray for her. She needs a counselor. And apparently, I'm not enough for that. In life, I've discovered that floaties work great in a pool, but not in your coffee. But more importantly, here's my question for you. What is floating in your life that is corrupting your life? What is in the cup of coffee of your life that is getting in the way of you fully experiencing God? Sometimes we allow things in our life that God doesn't intend for them to be in there. Some of us, we need to allow God to remove some things. So here's my question. What have you allowed in your life that is corrupting you? Is it bitterness, resentment, lust, greed, self-indulgence, pride? This was what Jesus did. He gut-checked the Pharisees and he said, you're so focused on the outside of the cup that you fail to realize that the thing that's most important is what's on the inside. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 And I love the writings of Peter because he really shoots straight. And part of the reason why is I think he faced so much difficulty. He was a a cursing sailor. He had an anger problem. He betrayed Jesus. And Jesus redeemed him. And so this is why I think there's real credibility to what he says in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. In order for you to, con- to, to ensure that your heart is kept clean, you, need, you and I, we need to pursue holiness. And we need to pursue holiness more than external beauty. Because again, 
Beauty and charm will fade away. But when we fully follow the Lord, that internal beauty will remain. And finally, the second way to watch our woes is to obey right away. In verse 37, Jesus ends this passage. And as I was preparing this message, what some commentators said is that although we see these harsh words at the very beginning of Matthew 23, he's actually speaking from a broken heart. And the reason we know that is because when we look at these passages, this is what it says in verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. In our faith walk, we must be willing to follow Jesus. We must be willing to allow him to protect us. We must be willing to obey right away. As a parent, one of the things that we say to our kids is obey right away. Obey right away. And sometimes the reason why we want them to obey right away is because we need them to do this thing so that we can do this other thing. But you know, in life, there are moments when obeying right away can save their life. In fact, the importance of instant obedience was tested yesterday. As some of you may know, my daughter Alexis, she's eight years old. She's on our Westover soccer team. And so she was there at the house, and it was my job to take her to soccer practice. And every Tuesday, we take her to soccer practice. So I got in the car with her. We were backing up out of our driveway. And suddenly, I realized that my sister-in-law, Stacia, was in her driveway. And I knew that my nephew and niece, Josiah and Camila, were going to soccer practice as well. So I said, why don't I ask your Thea, why don't you ask your Thea if you can go with her? So she said, okay, great. So she and I, we both jump out of the car, and she crosses the street, and she checks in with Stacia. Right at that time, Alfred came out, and we began to talk across the street. If you don't know this, but Alfred and I, we were next-door neighbors, and I still like him, so that's a good thing. But he and I, we were talking. We were just checking in on the day. And so Alexis, she stopped at the, at the road and then looked both ways and then came back across. She said, Dad, Stacia can take me to soccer practice. I said, fantastic. Well, why don't you go ahead and go? So right as she was about to cross the street, we hear a voice from across the street. It's Alfred saying, stop, Alexis. Wait just a moment. And so she stops. And she looks to the left and there is a car. It had come right up upon her. And I did not see that the car was there because my view was obscured by the vehicle that was parked that we had just gotten out of. In that moment, Alfred saved my daughter's life. He saw something that both I and my daughter did not see. We did not see the danger that was around the corner. You know, God's a lot like that. He sees things that are around the corner that you and I, we don't see. And he sometimes wants us to obey right away. And sometimes we don't understand. But here's what I've discovered in my own faith walk is that God never asks me to understand. He just asks me to obey and say yes to him. In that moment, Alfred saved her from injury. Now, I'm not saying he's the Holy Spirit, but he showed up in a powerful way to show up for my daughter. I believe that Delayed obedience is disobedience. 
And so as I close, I want to invite you to stand. And as I invite you to stand, I have a question for you. What does instant obedience look like to you? God's wanting you and I to be authentic in our relationship with him. And he's asking us to be instantly obedient. What is he asking you to start, to stop, or to continue? What is he saying yes to? What is he saying no to? What is he saying wait to? Many of us, we rush into things not realizing that there's danger and destruction coming our way. And God is saying, wait, wait, wait. And we think that God is holding out on us when really what he's trying to do is protect us. Tonight, for our altar moment, what's been on my heart are two things. This is a two-part altar moment. I believe that there's some of you who are here today who have never made a decision to follow Jesus with your life. There's also some of you who once you were close with Jesus, but now there's great distance between you and him. And you feel the distance. You feel the disconnection. And today I'm going to give you an opportunity for you to have an authentic, real relationship with Jesus. Not that you just hear about Jesus, but that you really know him. And then once I lead us in a prayer of salvation, I'm going to give those of us who are struggling in our relationship where there's a discrepancy between our public persona and our private life for us to do business with God. God wants us to be authentic with him so that he can be authentic with us. And so at this moment, I wanna invite you to bow your head and close your eyes. I wanna give each one of you a private moment with the Lord. As I mentioned, some of you who are here today you know that in your heart of hearts that you don't have an authentic relationship with Jesus. And throughout this service, you've sensed a tug in your heart and you think that might just be an emotion, but that's actually Jesus tugging on your heart. He's inviting you to connect with him. For some of you, he's inviting you to reconnect with him. And so with no eye looking, if you are here today and you need to connect with Jesus for the first time or you need to reconnect with him, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. One, two, three. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, yes. Keep your hands up. I see you. Yes, yes. In the back, I see you, ma'am. Yes, yes. Their hands going up all across the auditorium. You can put your hand down. Keep your head bowed and eyes closed. For those of you who raised your hand, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And it's not about you saying the words that I say, but it's about you confessing from your heart and declaring with your mouth that you need a Savior. And so I'm going to say a prayer, and I'd invite you to whisper it right where you're at. Jesus, I need you. I don't have an authentic relationship with you. There's nothing that I can do to save my own life. I need you. Forgive my sins. Clean my heart. Make me new. Not only save my life, but lead my life today, tomorrow, and forever. I want a real, authentic relationship with you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you who are here today, you know that there's a discrepancy between your public life and your private life, and you don't really know how to close the gap. If we're willing to come to God and be authentic with Him, He can help us close the gap and bring alignment. And so I don't know what that means for you. Maybe God is asking you for one thing in your life. Maybe there's one thing that's getting in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's anger, bitterness, or resentment. Maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. Maybe it's a personal struggle like substances or drugs or alcohol or lust or some other struggle, online gambling. Whatever it is that's getting in the way, God is inviting you in this moment to be instantly obedient, to obey right away and say yes to him. God's been tugging on your heart in this specific area for quite some time and he's inviting you to say yes. And so today, I'm gonna give you a moment to do business with the Lord. I'm gonna invite Pastor Alfred to come on forward and as we sing in worship, I want you to have a conversation with God and be willing to say yes to the thing that he's inviting you to do, the step that he's inviting you to take. Don't leave the same way you came.